and welcome to another episode of Relationship Alive. This is your host, Neil Satin. I'm doing a little bit of a different episode this week than what I had planned. If you tuned in last week to my show with David Burns, then you know that this week uh, was intended to be an episode that was going to be a session that David did with me uh, around being overwhelmed. And uh, it's an important episode um, if you are interested in hearing how David Burns uses his uh, methodology, Team CBT, uh, as a way to help me work through a problem that many of us are going through uh, these days, which is being overwhelmed by just the sheer amount of things that are happening in our world today. So it's an important episode, and yet I couldn't sit by and not address what is literally happening in our world, in our communities, along with the pandemic right now, which is responding to systemic racism and white privilege, uh, along with um, police violence towards black people, toward minorities, toward protesters. Um, I couldn't be silent, and I wanted to talk to you about it this week. Um, Generally, I've tried to keep relationship alive fairly non-political. And the reason behind that is because I feel that the purpose of relationship alive is inherently political. Uh, Even though we're talking about how to have successful relationships, um, it expands beyond what we do with our partners, with our spouses. It expands to the world around us, to how we are with our kids, with our parents, with our extended family, with our friends, with our coworkers, with the authorities in our lives. So I've always viewed uh, Relationship Alive as being something that is contributing to the overall betterment of society, not just in being able to experience more love with your partner, but also to experience more love and harmony with your fellow humans. And granted, that's not possible all the time. And yet... Uh, In this moment, this is really the first time that I've felt called to not be silent, to be explicit in my own personal support for Black Lives Matter, for the idea that our Skin color doesn't determine who we are in this world and uh, and that there should be racial equity in terms of how our society functions. And it just isn't that way. It just isn't. So in today's episode, 
I'm going to give you a little bit of my own personal story, my own background here, and um, and I'm going to talk a little bit about Relationship Alive and some obvious things that you may have noticed. Um, I want to address them head on because they're uh, important in terms of recognizing just how pervasive white privilege is in our world and in how we recognize who the experts are and who they're not. And uh, I want to talk, I want to tackle that head on. So that's what today's show is going to be about uh, a little bit from me personally um, and uh, a little bit of a statement about what direction we're going to head in this show. But first, I just want to remind you that Relationship Alive is an offering for you to help you have an amazing relationship. And as I just said, my hidden agenda is to uh, help the world be a better place. So if you are finding the show to be helpful, then please consider a contribution. Anything, any little bit counts. And um, today I want to thank these listeners who have made a contribution to help support Relationship Alive. Their names are Sylvia, Angie, David, Margot, Drew, Lydia, Anne, Valerie, Kirti, and Jules. Thank you all so much for your generous and ongoing support of Relationship Alive and our mission. And if you want to make a contribution, just visit neilsatin.com slash support or text the word support to the number 33444 and follow the instructions. In today's world, we could all use some help communicating with each other. And I've actually put together a guide with my top three relationship communication strategies to help you connect to another person, no matter how challenging the thing is that you are trying to connect with them about. Uh, It's relevant today, figuring out how to communicate with so much polarization in the world. To download the free guide, just visit neilsatin.com slash relate or text the word relate to the number 33444 and follow the instructions. We do have a Facebook group where listeners gather to create a safe space for others um, and for you to talk about uh, relationship-related matter. And uh, that's the Relationship Alive community on Facebook. And if you have questions, you can email them to questions at neilsatin.com or sorry, questions at relationshipalive.com. And what's super awesome is if you record yourself asking the question, then I can hear you and I can answer you here on the show. So I think that's it for the business that I need to cover. Let's dive in to this topic of racism and racial equity. And I think I just want to give you a little bit of my own just personal background, personal perspective on this. Um, I grew up being raised Jewish uh, in a predominantly Christian community. Um, And for the most part, even though it was 
it was weird to be other, um, to be othered. It was something that I was fortunate that I never really felt uh, victimized by that. I never felt any anti-Semitism growing up that I can recall. Um, and I took it upon myself to talk to my classmates, my schoolmates about being Jewish and what that meant to me and what our traditions were. And, uh, and part of being Jewish, at least the way that I was raised, was also an awareness of our history as a people. Um, and in particular, the, the ways that Jews have been persecuted throughout the history of the world. And in terms of recent history, um, in terms of the Holocaust and, and Nazi Germany. And so I had a consciousness, even as a young child, of what that meant to come from a community that had been singled out for death. Now, fortunately, I never experienced that. And growing up here in the States, I felt, for the most part, pretty safe. Um, and being Jewish is not something that is visible, for the most part, to other people. Now, I did have an interesting moment when uh, I was in my 20s, and I was at a cousin's bar mitzvah at a... Um, at a university, they they hosted the bar mitzvah at the university. And if you don't know, a bar mitzvah is like a coming of age ceremony for Jewish kids um, at the age of 13, a bar or a bat mitzvah, um, if you are a girl. Um, it's about being uh, ushered in to being a responsible adult in the eyes of the community. And uh, so I was at a cousin's bar mitzvah and I was looking around and I noticed something that I had never noticed before, which was that the people who were surrounding me, who were mostly students at this university, because there was an actual synagogue on the campus of, these, of the university, which was something I hadn't experienced. Um, I went to a predominantly Christian uh, liberal arts school out on the West Coast. And uh, so I was looking around and I noticed that the people that I was looking at actually looked a lot like me. And I had never really thought about myself as looking any different from anyone else. Um, again, um, this kind of veers into this notion of white privilege because there was nothing obviously different about me. But I did notice, oh... There, there is something about me and where I come from that makes me look a little bit different than, for instance, the people in the community where I grew up, grew up who were predominantly either French-Canadian or from Ireland, um, with a few English people thrown in there. So that was, that was the community that I grew up in. And, um, you know, not universally true. There were exceptions to the rule, but... I looked different than they did. And that explains, in some respects, some of the experiences that I think I had when I was a kid that, again, weren't about anyone consciously singling me out or not singling me out. Um, 
but I think it plays into the ways that we perceive other people in our lives. We're used to um, people who look like us, who act like us, who talk like us, use the language we do or the languaging if we speak the same language, but we use different kind of uh, ways of pronouncing things or different idioms. Um, we are geared towards uh, looking for where we're similar and and how that makes us safe. And in some respects, the way that our differences um, might bring us danger. And I think there's more for me to learn about this because my guess is that on some level, there are some things that are hardwired into our system to be suspicious of something that's different than us um, as a means of protection. Now, that doesn't mean that we are in danger um, at all, at all. It's about something that we've talked about here on the show a lot, which is noticing the ways that our body responds, that physiologically we are having a response to the world around us and being able to respond to that in choice, to not be um, the to not be victims to our own physiology. So in the ways that we are, carrying around our own trauma or the trauma of generations or the trauma of things that we see around us, whatever that is that we're carrying with us when we are triggered in the moment, it is worth paying attention to what's happening in our bodies so that we can respond, so that we can regulate ourselves and, and bring ourselves back to being in relationship with the people who are around us. So, while I was other, I was definitely privileged as well. My parents were educated. We lived in a very peaceful suburban community where things were relatively pretty safe. Um, I didn't, I wasn't worried about whether there was going to be food on the table. And I definitely wasn't worried about if I rode around town on my bike at any hour of day. I wasn't worried about being accosted by um, police officers thinking that maybe I was up to no good. I mean, I might have had to worry the times that I was up to no good, but it, I definitely wasn't going to get singled out just because of how I looked. And I wasn't in danger because of how I looked. And so I got to grow up feeling relatively safe and secure in a world that a lot of people don't feel safe and secure in. And I'm aware of that. Now, one thing that's interesting, as I think back on my own upbringing, I mean, I was, I watched a lot of Saturday morning cartoons. There was this whole thing that maybe you've seen or was maybe was part of your life called Schoolhouse Rock that was basically propaganda and education rolled into catchy tunes and cartoons on uh, Saturday mornings. And, um, and one of them that made this big impression on me, right, was the, the Great American Melting Pot. This idea that um, America was this place where we could all learn to appreciate our differences, appreciate each other, that we all came together. Now, I'm aware that there is uh, part of the... <laughs> the 
original melting pot theory was not about that at all. It was about um, everyone becoming part of one culture, this homogeneous culture um, that was based on this, uh, the idea that kind of Anglo-European culture was the norm, that that was what we wanted for everyone. And, um, you know, that... I don't, I don't agree with that at all. Um, and that was never part of my consciousness. Um, I was much more of this idea of appreciating just how different people were and wondering what that was like for them. Um, I had a classmate who was Chinese. I had classmates who were refugees from Cambodia. Um, the town that I grew up in had a black mayor um, even though as a whole, there were not many black people in the town where I grew up. Um, hardly any, as far as I know. And so I got to live in this fantasy world where everything was okay. Even though I knew deep down that you didn't have to go far to find places where there was danger for others based on how they looked. And honestly, uh, I, don't, I don't know a lot about the experience of people who had darker skin than me in my community. I don't know what that was like for them. And it gets me curious. It gets me curious to know because I can't imagine that it was always easy. And of course, on TV, there are plenty of opportunities to see uh, darker skinned people doing bad things and um, lighter skinned people being the heroes and the victors. And this subtext has permeated so much of our culture. You know, maybe we'd read one book, you know, The Invisible Man or To Kill a Mockingbird, and then everything else we would read in school was centered on uh, white culture. Why is that? Why are the things that are considered normal considered normal? Well, it's because we're a product of our environment, right? And finally, we're at a place where we're challenging we're challenging this idea of what's normal as well as we should be. Um, and we're struggling to do the things that are in many cases the most challenging, which is to figure out our blind spots. Now, this is challenging on any number of levels to figure out where you are blind to, um, to the ways that you treat other people, the ways that you show up uh, ineffectively. Because in our, in each, each of us has our own world within us. And in that world, everything we do makes perfect sense. So it is actually quite challenging to see the things that we do that don't make sense. And uh, I think uh, the, there's this book that a lot of people are talking about right now uh, or have been for the past year or so, White Fragility, which is a lot about 
how challenging it is for privileged people to recognize the ways that we support systems that are oppressing other people. And we have to work together. We have to call things out for how they are, and we have to work together. That's what I'm working towards here. So when I see footage of black people being murdered by police officers, in the case of George Floyd uh, in Minneapolis, apparently because he maybe had a counterfeit $20 bill. Um, I realized just how much further we need to come as a society. It's not that I think all police are bad. In fact, there have been many times where I've been grateful that police have been around. And what I think is important is that we address the ways that culturally we are perpetuating oppression and violence and profiling against people of color. I'm just going to say clearly that it's not okay. And then on top of that, when I am watching footage of protests happening and seeing the police, the people who's they're here to protect and serve us. And yet when I see them violently, violently swinging at protesters, pushing old people over, something has to change. It's not right. It's not okay. And there's something about it that chills me to my core. It goes all the way back to the questions that I had as a kid about uh, how, how did that happen in Germany? How did that happen that a group of people was able to be singled out and murdered um, and people either stood by watching or participated in it? How was that okay? And I remember over and over again thanking whatever power there was that that let me grow up in this place the United States of America where I didn't feel like I had to fear that kind of violence in fact I, I thought that there was a consensus pretty much around me that that kind of violence against humans wasn't okay growing up in a tiny town in Maine it was easy to believe that that wasn't actually happening still just against other communities of people and now, I mean, we are in danger here of having the might of weaponry and a militarized police wielded against the very citizens that theoretically they're supposed to be protecting. And for some reason, the president of our country thinks that it's okay to incite violence, to keep bringing up the Second Amendment as if we don't know that that's about 
uh, not so subtle call to arms. How is that helping our world? It's not. It's not. It's upsetting, it's distressing, and I think it's important for us to be having this conversation. So next week's uh, session with David Burns is going to be even more relevant, maybe because I'm stirring things up here with this week's episode, Um, but also because we have to take care of ourselves so that we can have this larger conversation and so we can be allies for each other and allies for each other allies for a world where the people who do bad things are the people that are held accountable and that the people who aren't doing bad things are left alone to just be people And, you know, maybe there's something really wrong with um, potentially paying for cigarettes with a a fake $20 bill. I mean, if the person even, if George Floyd even knew that that was a fake bill, I mean, who knows, right? But come on, the punishment has to fit the crime. If there's a crime going on, you know, it, it definitely didn't call for being murdered. Now, I respect that being a police officer, that is not any, it can't be an easy job. It can't be. It's definitely not going to be an easy job if you view the community that you're in as your adversaries, as opposed to trying to build relationships in the community and create an overall fabric of everyone trying to hold each other accountable to civil behavior. There are places where they're getting this right. There need to be more places like that. Now, I want to talk a little bit about the podcast because here's a place where I don't want you to think for a moment that I have a blind spot. Before I do... I do need to take a moment to mention this week's sponsor whose support I also really appreciate. And they are here to support you through these times. Their name is BetterHelp. And if you are looking for extra support around the things that get in the way of happiness or achieving your goals or dealing with the stress of what's happening in our world or your own personal personal world. From the comfort of your own home or wherever you are, you can use BetterHelp. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. And you can chat with that therapist via text at any time. And you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions all without having to go anywhere. It is more affordable than traditional offline counseling, and they do offer financial aid if you qualify. They also offer a broad range of expertise so that you can find the person most suited to helping you with your own unique situation. 
So whether it's depression, stress, anxiety, dealing with racism and our place in the system, whatever it is that's up for you, try out BetterHelp to help you move past the places where you are stuck. And because you are a listener of Relationship Alive, BetterHelp is also offering you an extra 10% off your first month. Just visit betterhelp.com slash alive and join over 800,000 other people who are taking charge of their mental and emotional health. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash alive. And thank you so much, BetterHelp, for your support of Relationship Alive. You can probably hear the emotion in my voice because uh, this stuff is affecting me deeply. And, and I stand with Black Lives Matter and other organizations that are dedicated to justice and racial equity and rooting out some of the obvious ways that that isn't happening in the world and some of the less than obvious ways. So let's talk about one of the less than obvious ways for some of you, and maybe some of you haven't noticed this, um, because sometimes racism and racial equity and our support of a just world isn't necessarily about what we do, it's about what we don't do. And here on the show, I've wanted to have a diverse group of voices represented. And just to give you a little insight, when I started this show, it was really important to me to find the top names in the field, to have the top most respected people on this show to talk about relationships and doing them better. And by and large, those people have been on Relationship Alive. And I'm so grateful. People have done countless hours and hours and years and years of therapy sessions and research and who have the experience to merit being recognized as experts and leaders in the field. And each of them has also taken me on a journey as I learn, as I read their work and talk to them. Inevitably, those books and conversations lead me to another person, to another set of ideas. And many of those people have been on the show. And so the show has been curated by me and my curiosity, by the issues that I've personally been struggling with or that I've seen others struggling with, and by this observation of who the recognized world leaders are. 
Now, I want to tell you that when you look at who's headlining, uh, you know, the keynote speakers for various conferences that are happening around the country um, in the, the English speaking world, and you're looking for those people who are the, the recognized world leaders in this particular field, what you might notice is that there isn't a lot of racial diversity among that group, which isn't to say that there isn't any. There's some, a little bit, but not much. Now, is anyone to blame for this? I mean, maybe on some level there are things to blame, there are people to blame, but I think you can step back and extrapolate that the systems of power and education and who has made it, who has had an easy time of finding their ways through the ranks of academia and book publishing and... Uh, speaking on stages and whether it's intentional or not, choosing who else gets to come alongside them, who else gets to be speaking alongside them, who else gets recognized as an expert. Well, the power structures in this country anyway for a long time have been white. And there are a lot of people who are trying to change that, thankfully. I know when I look back over the guests who have been on this show, I feel really good about, you know, the balance of genders, men and women. I know that I could have more people on this show who represent different parts of the the gender and sexuality spectrum, I could do a better job of that. And I could definitely do a better job of having people with different colored skin on this show. Again, there have been some. There have been some. And those conversations have been amazing. And yet, there aren't enough. And it takes effort on my part. It's going to take more effort on my part. Now, I've got great excuses. You know, I have a busy life and trying to raise a family, trying to have a relationship, trying to deal with my relationship ending, all that stuff. Like, I've got all kinds of excuses. We all have great excuses, I think, for living life the way that we live it. So I'm recognizing here for you that I need to do better. And I've been looking, just so you know, for more diversity in terms of who's on this show. And there may be ways that it's more challenging for me because they're not people who are necessarily recognized by, I don't know, the world authorities who recognize these things as being experts in the field and and I have to get by my own sets of biases about who I want to have on the show. In general, what I'm going to do is just try to find voices on the show of people I respect, people who are researching their work, 
I'm not a huge fan of having people on Relationship Alive to just like talk about their opinion of things. Uh, we all have opinions, right? There are some less savory uh, phrases about that, but this isn't a show. This isn't an, an opinion show. At least I try to not have it be. I'm really trying to create a space for you where you can trust the information that's in front of you. And yet, as I look back on it, I'm humbled to recognize that there could be definitely more black, indigenous, and other persons of color represented here on the show. I'm naming it not because I think that, not because I don't think that we should just all love each other as people and that the color of our skin shouldn't matter. I do believe that the color of our skin should not matter. And yet, I do not want to be part of perpetuating a system that is only recognizing some people, not others, and that the some people happen to be uh, of a particular skin color because the systems that recognize experts are generally run by people with that very same skin color. And I'm the one with the podcast and I have that same skin color, even though I have my own history of being a minority, a non-visible minority. And generally, thankfully, a, a non-endangered minority. And I hope it stays that way. Not just for me, but I hope we can expand the sphere of who gets to be safe in this world so that it does truly include everyone no matter the color of your skin. So if you have suggestions for people whose work you admire and who you think would be a great guest for Relationship Alive, by all means, do let me know. You can email me. My email is neilius, N-E-I-L-I-U-S, at neilsatin.com. Um, but it's not on you. This one's on me. That being said, I could use some help. So if you've got some good ideas, send them my way. And I've got a lot of queries out there with people and I'm doing some more work to find more people. And my hope is that each of us finds our way to change the system so that we all get to be safe, we all get to experience love and connection, and so more and more we know what it's like to elevate each other and to find pathways for doing that, to elevate and amplify each other. That's what I want for you. That's what I want for the world where my kids are growing up and hopefully my grandkids and my great-grandkids and whoever else is coming down the, down the path. Thanks for being here with me today. Thanks for listening. Thanks for hearing my story and I hope that it ignites something in you 
And if it does, I want to hear about it. So please write to me or mention something in the Relationship Alive community on Facebook. I'm not terribly active there right now. It's been honestly quite challenging for me to be on Facebook. Um, and yet, uh, if you tag me, I, I will definitely see what you write. And I welcome all of our efforts to make this world and the relationships that we experience better. So sending love to you, sending love out to all the people who are in the streets taking a stand, maybe even risking their own lives and their own health with the pandemic going on. And I send love to the people who at this point maybe don't know that they actually do need to change. And I hope they find their path to change in a way that expands what's possible for them in the world. Because living a life of violence and hate and leaning on authority instead of leaning on respect. It's not a way to live. There's a lot more that's possible when we learn how to open our hearts to each other and be humble about the ways that we've messed up and apologize and make amends and move forward together. Okay. I'll see you next week for my vulnerable session with David Burns on overwhelm. And in the meantime, take care, stay safe, and keep in touch.